0: Well, if you'll turn with me to Exodus chapter 33, that's uh, page 74 in the Bibles in the rows. Uh, there are Bibles under the, the chairs, at least nearby you, in front of you. Um, if you need one of those, it's, it is page 74. I'm uh, just going to read a, a few verses here, uh, Exodus 33, 19, and then 34, um, 6 and 7. So thirty-three nineteen. And he said, this is the Lord, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And then chapter 34, 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word this morning, and we ask that you would speak to us through it. Lord, would you use me? Would you fill me with your spirit? that I would proclaim with clarity and with boldness your word, your truth, and your glory. Lord, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and soften our hearts to receive your word implanted by your spirit. We pray for your glory and for our good and joy. Amen. Last Saturday, uh, November 11th, in what was her final match as a professional soccer player, Megan Rapinoe was injured on a non-contact play just moments into the match, ending her career quite unceremoniously, and in a post-match interview, Rapinoe's reaction to the injury garnered quite a bit of attention, and I'll clean up the language for us this morning as to the things she said. She said, I'm not a religious person or anything, and if there was a God, like, this is proof that there isn't. This is messed up. It's just messed up. Six minutes in, and I eat my Achilles. And then a few moments later, she stated what seems a bit contradictory in the language. Thank God I have a significantly deep well of a sense of humor. It's devastating to go out in a final so early. Now, I'm not picking on Rapino here. It's not pleasant for anyone to get injured. But her line of thinking is, let's see, how do I put this? A bit off. Um, in regards to who God is. Her idea seems to be that the only way there could be a God is if He only ever did good to her, in her frame of what good is. That's a bit of a rejection of the full nature of God, in particular of His holiness, justice, of His sovereignty, of, of any righteous divine wrath and judgment against sin or rebellion, or, or just that the fact that there could be difficult things in a fallen world. J.I. Packer, I think, rightly calls this Santa Claus theology. He says it's Santa Claus theology where sins create no problem and atonement becomes needless. God's active favor extends no less to those who disregard his commands than to those who keep them. The idea that God's attitude to me is affected by whether or not I do what he says has no place in the thought of the man on the street. And any attempt to show the need for fear in God's presence, for trembling at His word, gets written off as impossibly old-fashioned, as Victorian, Puritan, and sub-Christian. Now, needless to say, Packer and I would both find that theology a bit misguided. It's one that cannot cope at all with the existence of difficult and hard things in life, let alone evil. It's also impossible to see any goodwill of God in the the heartbreaking and difficult things when you have a a Santa Claus view of who God is. And further, I don't believe you can truly know the goodness of God unless you grasp the reality of sin in general, as well as as your own sin and frailty. Now, when we do acknowledge our sin and rebellion in humility— I believe we will see the goodness of God. When we realize the severity that that could rightly come upon us because of our sin, the goodness of God, I think, begins to shine even brighter. So this morning, we are going to look at God's goodness. It's our next attribute as we go through the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question four, it's not up there. We're in the next to the last week. We'll see how we do here. So question four, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's pretty good. All right. I don't know how many weeks that's been, but that's good. So if you're new, don't worry that you had no idea what was being said there. But um, we've been going through the shorter catechism. Definition of God, of what is God. It's a great short definition. And we now come to goodness. Goodness. We've gone through all the rest, if you want to catch up you can do that online, but we're at goodness now, and this morning we are going to look at what God's goodness is, how his goodness is known, and then how it's known specifically in Christ. So what his goodness is, how it's known, and how it's known specifically in Christ. And my hope is that from this we will gain a greater appreciation of God's goodness and also learn more and more to rest in his goodness no matter what it is we face in life. So then, what is God's goodness? What is God's goodness? God's goodness is that, it's his, it is that He is absolutely and perfectly good in Himself and the fountain of all communicated goodness to the creature. It's His, uh, as another would say, it's His perfection that prompts Him to deal bountifully and kindly with all His creatures a beautiful way to put that. It's, it's, it's His perfection that, that, that prompts Him to deal bountifully and kindly with all His creatures. The goodness of God, is the, it's the spring, it's the well out of which all His other attributes flow. They're, they're, they're flavored by it. or you know, It's the seasoning of His acts. Goodness never leaves His acts because He is completely good in, a, good, good in all things. Goodness feeds everything that He does. God is supremely good. He is the good. He is the definition of good. He, we do not measure God by goodness. Goodness is measured by God. Okay? We, we, we don't judge God based on our conception of goodness. God is the definition of goodness. Psalm 119, verse 68, You are good and do good. Mark 10, 17 to 18, uh, Jesus was confronted and it says, As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. God is the one who is good. God is the supreme and perfect good. Stephen Charnock, who's written wonderfully on the existence and attributes of God, gave a beautiful definition of this truth. He said, This is the true and genuine character of God. He is good. He is goodness. Good in himself. Good in his essence. Good in the highest degree. Possessing whatsoever is comely, excellent, desirable. The highest good. Because the first good... Whatsoever is perfect goodness is God. Whatsoever is truly goodness in any creature is a resemblance of God. All the names of God are comprehended in this one of good. All gifts, all variety of goodness are contained in him as one common good. He is the efficient cause of all good by an overflowing goodness of his nature. Simply put, God is good. God is is good and thankfully we all to some degree know his goodness whether we recognize it or not we know his goodness because god communicates his goodness to his creatures and he does so with delight okay he does so with delight psalm 1 145 verse 9 says the lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made and skip down to verse 15 The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. This is what we would call common goodness or common grace. That God's grace and his goodness flows to everyone, to his whole of creation. He makes the sun to rise on the wicked and the faithful. He holds the world together by the very word of his power. He sustains life. He is good. He provides the conditions for this world not only to survive, but actually to thrive. Acts 14, 17, Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. It's a God who, who does this with delight. He does this with joy as he cares for his creation. This is the idea, again, of God's general goodness or his common grace. It's given to all, but there is a goodness that is more directed toward his own people. Psalm 73, 1. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Or Lamentations three twenty five, The Lord is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him. There, there's, there's a special, there's a different kind of goodness or it's experienced in a different way to those who come to him in fear and in reverence and in repentance and in faith. J.I. Packer wrote this. He said, When the biblical writers call God good, they are thinking in general of all those moral qualities which prompt his people to call him perfect and in particular of the generosity which moves them to call him merciful and gracious And to speak of his love. So, with that, let's turn to Exodus 33. So, if you want to turn back with me to Exodus 33, if you've moved off that, we're going to start in verse 18 this time and read a little bit more context of Exodus 33. So, 18, and we're going to read through 23. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my, away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now, as we get into this, a bit of context, I think, it will, will help us understand Um. The setting of the situation and even the the gravity of what Moses is asking and and what he's been through. So, if you remember, God had called Moses. Moses had fled out of Egypt. He had been in Midian for 40 years. God called him back to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Um, God had done that working through... Ten plagues mightily through these plagues and showing his glory. And then as, as they're fleeing, um, they, the, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, cross the Red Sea on dry ground and the, the army of Pharaoh is drowned behind them. And then they're in the wilderness and, and God provides bread from heaven. He provides manna and, and water from a rock. And then they come to Mount Sinai, and at Mount Sinai, God enters into kind of further into the covenant with them as the God who saved them. And, and from Mount Sinai, he gives to Moses the, and the people the Ten Commandments and, and other laws and, and stipulations as to how to live. This, all while Moses is up on this Mount Sinai, and the people are not on the mountain at the time. And so while that was happening and, and transparently taking a while, at least in the minds of the Israelites, the people become restless and impatient. And with Moses taking so long, they, they in their restlessness, they demand of Aaron. Moses' brother said, make us a god. Make us some gods. And instead of Aaron actually rebuking them and saying, no, no, that's not what we're going to do, he actually says, well, bring me, bring me your gold. Bring me your ornamentation. Bring me your gold. And he fashions for them a calf and declares in Exodus 32:4, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Utter rebellion, absolute and complete blasphemy, the lowest of lows for the people of God. And the Lord at this point in time is righteously angry at the actions of his people, but Moses actually takes the time and intercedes for the people. He pleads for them. He pleads for God not to take out his wrath then and there on the people, but to continue to show his glory and and to redeem his people and to continue to to move forward. And there's more that goes in than this, and and I would encourage you to read the whole thing, but that just gives us a little bit of context into Moses coming now and pleading with the Lord, Lord, please show me your glory. Because with all that context, as you think about that, if you think about everything that Moses has seen up to this point, what exactly did Moses need to see further that he hadn't already witnessed? Think about it. He had seen God's power in some of the most miraculous ways you can imagine. But now one commentator wrote, said he wanted to experience the weightiness of God. He wanted to experience fully the splendor of God's presence on a personal level. He was begging God for a unique form of self-disclosure and self-revelation. He was asking God for something that God had not granted to any human since the Garden of Eden. He wanted full and unfettered access to the resplendent glory of God. This was the desire of Moses' heart. See, Moses wanted intimacy with the Lord. He wanted to know the fullness of God. And I find the Lord's response so interesting to this plea from Moses. Moses again says, please show me your glory. And the Lord in verse 19 says this of chapter 33. I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim my name, the Lord. That is a beautiful string of words. Think think again, think of what Moses has just asked. What has just gone on? Show me your glory. And God says, I'm going to make my goodness pass before you. And I'll proclaim to you my name, the Lord. God will make his goodness pass right before Moses. Moses. Moses would not see God's face. That would be too much. But he would have this privilege of seeing the backside glory of God. And having the goodness of God pass before him. So now let's turn to Exodus 34 and read verses 6 and 7 again. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So remember again what God said he would do. I will make all my goodness pass before you. And this is what happens. God reveals His and proclaims His name. He reveals His character. He he proclaims the Lord, the Lord, the, the, the covenant name, Yahweh, the sovereign ruler, the King of all. And in that, He proclaims His perfections, His moral excellence, His greatness. As one commentator put it, He revealed His glory through sight and sound. Moses both saw And heard God's glory. These words that he spoke reveal an an enormous amount regarding the character and nature of God. They're foundational to our understanding of the character of God. They're repeated multiple times throughout the Old Testament. And as he reveals his name, as he proclaims his name and states this, this aspect of his character, what is he doing? He's revealing to Moses his goodness. This, in many ways, is the definition of God's goodness. We first hear that He is a God merciful and gracious. He's merciful. He's he's compassionate. This is a a deep and, and perfect love in God for His people, but it's accompanied with understanding. It's accompanied with understanding of our weakness and our need. God cares about what we are going through. He's not unsympathetic to our weakness in any way. In fact, the heart of God is actually drawn toward those in need. And that's the opposite of what we think so much. We think when we're in need, oh, I'm just going to stay away. I've known so many people who, who are hurting and they stay away from the church. That is the last place you need to stay away from. God is drawn to those in need. Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. He knows us, he knows we're frail. He created us, he knows who we are. Not only that, he's gracious. This is God's disposition to show favor to his people, but it's beyond what we can truly fathom. It it amazes me how often people complain in life about God not being fair. That's not fair, God. That's not fair. And and I'm not getting what I deserve. And honestly, I don't want what I deserve. And truly, they don't either, nor do you. A desire for God to be fair in that sense of the word is only what we want when we don't actually understand what we deserve. That's the only way you can want God to be fair is when you don't know what you deserve. Thankfully, God's gracious and grace is getting what we don't deserve. It is experiencing his goodness and his salvation. And then he declares that he's slow to anger. God's patient. Old way of putting this is he's long-suffering. He isn't volatile. God doesn't blow his top ever, ever. Never once has God blown his top. He's not set off. Yet when he does act, when he does display his anger, it's righteous, it's clear, and it's holy. Now the Hebrew term, actually, I, think, I find this interesting. Behind the word that's translated as slow to anger could literally be translated as God, and this is what one commentator wrote: "Being long as to the nostrils." So those people who are slow to anger, you're, you have long nostrils. Now it doesn't mean long as in like a Pinocchio kind of thing, but listen. So this phrase is a metaphor. When someone is angry, his nostrils are said to flare like a raging bull. God's nostrils take a long time to ignite. He's slow to anger. He is slow. To anger. And then next, and this is a place where scripture so often camps out, he is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Abounding in steadfast love. This is the commitment that God has made to his people. God always makes good on his love. He is completely, perfectly, without fail, loyal, and steadfast. God has never, ever broken a promise I mean just think about that think of how many promises we have broken maybe this week I don't don't know but God has never broken a promise never failed to love and so once God has set his love upon you it cannot be removed it's measureless, it's boundless and beyond our wildest imagination how amazing his steadfast love is and then he repeats a little further on that he, he keeps his steadfast love, keeps it for thousands, for thousands of generations, and he forgives. What sweet goodness is forgiveness? He forgives our iniquity, transgression, and sin. And he actually piles up, in some ways, the definitions or different words we would use for sin. Kind of sin in general, iniquity. You know, this is turning aside away from what is good and true and right. Transgression. This has a more defiant tone to it. Um, it is um, willful violation, betrayal of one's relationship with the covenant God. It's you know, when you walk down the street and you see a sign that says "Don't walk on the grass," and you run through it as fast as you can and scuff it and do everything you can or do donuts in their grass. It's it's willfully transgressing what is there. It's cosmic treason. When it comes to God. And then there's sin. Covers the bases. The the, the catechism defines sin as any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. So any any not conforming to God's laws or transgressing it, going against it. That's sin. So the, the bases are covered here. And what it says is God forgives. God forgives all of those. So here God revealed his goodness to Moses as merciful, gracious, loving, faithful, and forgiving. He spoke it. He spoke it. Moses, Moses heard it and also saw the, 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 kind of the, the, the going away glory of God, the goodness of God. Now, I know I don't have time to look at the whole thing, but Psalm 107, I, I encourage you to read it later. It's a wonderful example of God's goodness. And it begins with these words. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Now, as, as you would read through the psalm and work your way through it, the psalm recounts the ways, it, it's just this, this constant movement of the ways that God's people have decided to walk away from the Lord, to rebel, to transgress, to, to commit sin and iniquity. And then they realize their trouble because they, their, their trouble gets them into that trouble and they feel it and they cry out to the Lord and he rescues them in the manner that best suits the trouble in which they were in. So maybe they were wandering in deserts and and things like that, and they ran out of water and all this kind of stuff. The Lord rescues them and provides for them. He does what is needed. He shows forth his goodness, and there is a repeated refrain in four different verses. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And you could kind of CliffsNotes version that and say, let them thank the Lord for his goodness, for his good. To the children of man. The psalm is a call, the whole psalm really is a call to recognize the goodness of God in all his various manifestations to his people. You see, God's goodness is shown throughout all of Scripture. Moses saw and heard the goodness of God, God's people see it consistently, whether we recognize it or not. One Puritan wrote this. He said, God's goodness appears in His special love and mercy towards His own people, in choosing them, in redeeming them, in calling them, in pardoning them, in adopting them, in sanctifying them, in all the privileges He bestows upon them, and manifestations of His love to them here, and and in His taking them and giving them possession of His kingdom hereafter. Our salvation is... Such a beautiful display of God's goodness. All God's operations show forth his goodness, yet his goodness is comprehended most clearly in his Son. It's comprehended most clearly in Christ. Let's consider again what the, the Lord spoke to Moses. Okay, how the Lord revealed himself to Moses. He said, merciful and gracious. Would that characterized Jesus? Yeah. Very much so. Jesus is merciful and compassionate. Matthew 9:36 when he saw the crowds he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd or Hebrews 4:15 the first part of it for we do not have a high priest that being Jesus who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Not only does he does he remember that we are but dust but God himself took on flesh fully God, fully man. He experienced that weakness, that frailty of humanity. He knows our weaknesses. He sympathizes with them. And of course, he's gracious. John 1.14 describes him this way. He's full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. What about slow to anger? Yeah, we've all had relationships with you know, close relationships with people. He had 12 guys who spent so much time with him and were clueless 90% of the time as to who he was. Asking so many questions, like you get the why, why, why. I mean, you you get that from a 2-year-old or 12-year-old or whatever. You you get it over and over and over again. And he is slow to anger completely. He shows that patience with, with the wayward, with the troubled Yet he did get angry. We see that as he cleansed the temple, but it was a holy and righteous anger. We see it as he interacted with the Pharisees, but it was a holy and righteous anger, and it was slow in coming. But what about steadfast love? I wasn't going to take the time and read this, but I'm going to. So, Romans 8. I don't think there's a better place to speak of God's steadfast love. Verses 31 through 39. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written... Absolutely. Is he forgiving? Yes. It's only in him, by his substitutionary death, by his his whole incarnation, his life on earth, living the perfect life for us, taking the death that we deserve, being raised from the dead, ascending to heaven, that we know forgiveness of our sins. He is the sacrifice that every sacrifice in the Old Testament pointed to. But he is the full and final sacrifice. Folks, if you want to know the goodness of God, you have to know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you know the goodness of God. And though we've touched on this, I, I want to be explicit in this. If you want to see the goodness of God most clearly, you have to see His severity as well. Romans 11, 22. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. The kindness, the goodness, but also the severity. J.I. Packer wrote, the word Paul uses in Romans 11:22 22 means literally cutting off. It denotes God's decisive withdrawal of his goodness from those who have spurned it. It reminds us of a fact about God which he himself declared when he proclaimed his name to Moses, Namely, that though he is abounding in love and faithfulness, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. That is, the obstinate and impenitent guilty. Folks, understanding, at least knowing that God is just and holy, one of the things that it does is it provides us protection against taking advantage of the goodness of God. Romans 2.4 talks about, do you presume upon his kindness, not knowing that his kindness, that his goodness is meant to lead us to repentance. It protects us against that. or simply having a warped understanding of who God is and what you believe he owes you. And it should also appreci- uh, bolster and, and boost your appreciation of his goodness. Over the past two seasons... I might get emotional over this a little bit. My daughter's basketball team has seen girls suffer horrible injuries. Last year, girls thought they wouldn't finish their senior year. And this year lasts, so the 10th, last Friday night, senior, one of Meredith's teammates, blows out her knee, four minutes to go into a game that they're winning by 30, 35 points. Tears her ACL. Her season's done completely. Yet the thing that amazes me is watching these girls over these two years respond to that heartbreak, because that's devastating. And what I saw was last Saturday, the day after, so they drive home from Louisville, get in late. The next day, Meredith's team has a game, and Becca's there with a brace on, knowing she had just blown out her ACL and her season's over. And she's on the sideline cheering on her team, which she so desperately wants to be out there. And I just think about that. I I think, here is a girl that knows God's goodness. Such a diametrically opposed response to what happened with Megan Rapinoe is this girl who knows the goodness of God who's been raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And she responds knowing that God is good in all his works. Knowing that God is still sovereign. Knowing that her salvation and her character and her growth in grace is really the most important thing in her life. And so as hard as it's been, and I I know as I've talked to her parents, her dad's the coach. As I've talked to them and, and said how much there's been tears in the family and they're still flowing. Yet she continues to show up, and she's faithful in that. And I, I just love the way she has done it. And it's only because of her belief in who God is. It's her belief in the, in the true goodness of God and the fact that she's experienced the goodness of God that she can respond in the way that she has. Because she trusts in God and His goodness. And I remember back in college... When I was in college, I I would go at times uh, with friends from the Black Student Union to their worship services. It was a great experience. I loved it. And one of the things that I loved the most was the pastor would stand up at the beginning and just go like this, God is good. And the people would say all the time, and he'd respond all the time, and they'd go, God is good. And that's how a service would start half the time. And it was amazing. And so I I, I love that. So so as as we finish up then, very briefly, how do we respond to all of this? How do we respond? One, in your prayers. In your prayers, consider the goodness of God. Look not to God in judgment, but in His goodness, in His mercy, and go to Him boldly. Because He is good, and He loves you. Two, believe in his goodness, his mercy, his steadfast love, what he has revealed. Appreciate it. Count your blessings. Know how much God has done for you. Three, pray that God would open up your eyes to see his goodness more clearly in the day-to-day. That you would see evidences of his goodness in your life, in the life of your family members, all around you, that you would see that more and more. And let it lead to praise and trust. Four, imitate God's goodness. Imitate His goodness. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Imitate His goodness. This is a communicable attribute of God. He wants us to imitate His goodness. And we've just walked through what goodness looks like. Merciful, gracious, abounding in steadfast love. Forgiving. Imitate his goodness. Lastly, don't abuse his goodness. Don't abuse his goodness. Do not presume upon his steadfast love and mercy and kindness. Rather than presuming upon it, fall upon it in humility. Because we need it. We desperately need his goodness. Let God's goodness continually lead you to Christ, lead you to repentance and lead you to resting in the goodness of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, be at work in our lives. Help us to see, to see your goodness more clearly. Lord, so that as we see it in the times that maybe are flowing better and they're good, And what we would call that in the normal every day, that we would see it and know it then so that when those difficult times come, when affliction hits, when pain comes, we have a place to rest. Lord, thank you for showing us your goodness. Thank you for giving us Jesus. May we know him and love love him and rest in him all our days. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.